1: The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their Elders past and present. Good plan. Who thought of
0: this one? You're listening to the Outer Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment
1: in time in the history of the AFL.
0: In from the side. Houghton. She was surrounded. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum's fifth quarter for this week. My name is Julia Kiera and I am delighted to be speaking to the very talented Chloe Dalton. Chloe is an Olympic gold medalist with the 2016 Olympic Australian rugby sevens team. She is an accomplished basketballer, spending some time in the WNBL. She debuted for Carlton's AFLW team in 2019, and she is now starting her first preseason with the GWS Giants. You may also know her as the host and founder of the Female Athletic Project
1: as well. Thank you for joining us, Chloe. That was quite a mouthful. (laughs) There's a fair bit in that, isn't it? It really sounds like I'm just a very indecisive person.
0: No, no. It just sounds like you have got <laughs> a lot to do. The world needs uh, fixing.
1: How are you going? I'm really well, thank you. I'm really looking forward to having a chat. I'm a big fan, so it's going to be really good to sit down and have a chat. Oh, thank you, Chloe.
0: You know, I'm a big fan of yours as well. We did cross paths at Carlton for a season, and is it bad for the welfare manager to say she has favourite players? Probably. I think it's <laughs> fine. I say play on. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know. <laughs> I'm a big fan of yours, so hopefully I'll remain impartial during this interview. You've had a pretty strange two years. I know everyone has a pretty strange two years, but uh, can you tell us a bit about what's been happening for you, sport and otherwise, over the last couple of
1: years? Yeah, so I guess looking back to the start of the COVID pandemic, I was in Melbourne still playing with Carlton. We we're on a pretty good running, hoping to to back up and and play in another grand final. And then, season got called off uh, quite abruptly. And within 24 to 48 hours, the Tokyo Olympics also got called off. So my plan at that point was that I was going to finish the season with Carlton moved back to Sydney and prepare with the Aussie Sevens for Tokyo, which was due to be in 2020. I then was on the phone to my Australian rugby coach who said that you might not even have a contract because we don't know what's going to happen. The world's ending. You know, at the beginning, everyone was kind of like, what is going on? What's going to happen? So I made the decision that I was just going to come back anyway. and, And even if I didn't have a contract, I'd just keep training with the group and hoped that we'd be able to work it out. So I moved home to Sydney in about April of 2020 and started training full-time with the team. Thankfully, it it worked out that I could still have a contract and train and have a job. So that was very nice and and continued training for what was going to be the postponed Tokyo 2021 Olympics. Mm. And then
0: you, that didn't quite go to plan either.
1: So I was playing a tournament up in Townsville and we're playing against New Zealand and Fiji and an Oceania team in preparation for Tokyo because we didn't get to play many games. Obviously, with the pandemic, a lot of international competition was called off. So, we'd pretty much just been training and tackling each other for the past 18 months. Playing one of those games, a teammate and I tried to tackle the same person. Her head went into my face and I fractured my cheekbone in about four places and had to have surgery to have three plates put into my face. Mm.
0: So that completely derailed your your plans to get to the Olympics, which I'm sure would have been incredibly disappointing and we can touch on that later. And now you're back in Sydney and you were traded to the GWS Giants so, and you've just started pre-season there. So how's that going?
1: A new club. New club. I'm actually really, really loving it. It's been really cool. I think for me I, I initially made the decision to – go and play at Carlton for the start of my career. Everything I'd, I'd seen and heard that, that Melbourne was kind of the heart of footy, but it's really special for me to now be back in Sydney and in my hometown playing footy. The group's been incredible, really welcoming. It's weird handballing again, weird skill <laughs> when you haven't grown up doing it and you've been <laughs> playing other sports. Um, but I'm slowly getting back into that and just getting the, getting the Ks under the belt, just running round and round again. It's, it's been good fun. I'm enjoying it a lot so far.
0: Yeah, that's good to hear, and I'm really looking forward to seeing you back on a, a football field. How have you kind of reconciled missing that AFLW season of last year to give yourself the chance to go to Tokyo, and then missing out on that? Has is that sitting uncomfortably for you?
1: Yeah, it was a really tricky one. So I had to make that decision. So when the Olympics got postponed, I I had the opportunity to still play the twenty. 21 AFLW season but I sat down and I made the decision that I wanted to give myself the best possible opportunity to be selected for the Olympics but also be the best player that I could be I think it it was tempting to have a go at at doing both sports again but I think in my in my mind I was like I want to I don't want to go to the Olympics and and just get by you know like I want to go to the Olympics and and perform on the world stage and and play well so I was on the inactive list for Carlton for that season and then I missed out altogether because of the injury which was tough and I, I don't I haven't really sat down too much and kind of thought and felt frustrated that I missed the AFLW season like obviously I went through like the grieving process of, of missing the Olympics but I think with all of the decisions obviously I've moved changed sporting careers a couple of times and I think within all of those decisions I've always been really fortunate for what I've been able to learn like I don't think I've made a decision and and regretted missing out on something in another sport because I think I've put myself into that situation and and tried to put so much effort into whatever I'm doing that it's kind of like you just roll with the punches that come with that one rather than being worried about what you're missing out elsewhere you you mentioned grief and learning what what
0: have you learned about grief and disappointment from this experience
1: yeah it was it was a really weird situation I think when I fractured my cheekbone well when I got hit in that tackle I knew straight away i I lay on the ground and I could feel I could already see the swelling out of the corner of my eye my my cheek was already pretty massive and the physio eventually got to over to me after what felt like a lifetime of lying on the ground just thinking like is is this over like am I ruled out of the olympics and and the physio eventually sat me up and as soon as I sat up i felt blood start dripping from my nose and I hadn't been hit in the nose and I was like, that's not a good sign. Mm. They took me in. The doctor really wanted to do a an HIA, so a head injury assessment to check whether I was concussed, which I most likely probably was concussed, but I didn't really care because I didn't want to keep playing. I just wanted to get a scan and see what was happening. Mm. They kind of rushed me in, got scans done. The surgeon came and chatted with me, told me that I would need to have surgery. There was a bit of touch and go moment. I think that was really tricky. So, He was saying there was a couple of rugby league players like Darren Lockyer that they'd operated on and he was almost ready to come back in four weeks. And so there was this like slight glimpse of hope for a little while there. But it's weird, right, when you know your gut feeling was telling me that it, that it wasn't going to happen. So I kind of was, was sitting in hospital. And because I'd got out of Sydney being a COVID hotspot a few weeks earlier, I was, I was still double vaxxed and I'd had three negative COVID tests while being up in Townsville, but they kind of went into shutdown mode. So I got pretty much locked in a hospital room mm-hmm. because if I left the hospital, I wasn't going to be allowed to come back into Sydney. So it was just five days of sitting in a hospital room, kind of dealing, trying to process the emotions of going through a, what was already such an uncertain year, trying to prepare for this Olympics and then realizing that that dream was totally just taken out of my hands. And I lay awake the night that it happened. I just lay awake. I don't think I slept at all. And it was one of those things I was like, oh, I wish I just didn't make that tackle. Mm. Like, imagine if I just let my teammate make the tackle and I didn't make the tackle, but I eventually kind of like thought about it and I was like I don't I don't want to be that player you know like I'd rather be known to be the player that goes and commits and makes a tackle rather than just steps out because of fear of getting injured and I think that's just the nature of of contact sport right sometimes things like that happen and there were kind of multiple stages to it I felt like I was waiting in the lead up to the Olympics it was this weird feeling of I felt like it was going to hit me really hard once the Olympics started and it it was really hard watching watching my teammates go out and compete but there was also a real I think there was a real sense of, of balance. We say for the Female Athlete Project, for example, like we were pumping out so much content mm. that for me, I was able to shift my focus into that and I, I get so much fulfillment out of the work that we do there that I think there was a real sense of I just think I've set up a couple of other things in my life now compared to what I was like as a younger athlete where going to my second Olympics would have been absolutely incredible. I was waiting for a real, a really, real low. mm but it didn't come because I just part of that I think is, is resilience that I've developed over the past couple of years. But I think there was also a real element where I I felt so fortunate that I had other things that could help to keep me grounded and Mm. a bit of a healthy distraction too.
0: Yeah. And that you're part of a larger kind of context of what's going on in the world and what's happening in female sport. You know, sport is full of sliding doors moments, um, And sometimes you're behind one of those doors Mm -hmm. and it can just be luck, but it didn't mean that you shouldn't have made that decision. Mm -hmm. You, You spend a lot of time talking to female athletes about the sacrifices that they make and their dreams and what's standing out to you? Are there key themes that just keep coming through?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's really cool having the chance to sit down and chat to so many incredible athletes. I think for me like I'm sitting having these conversations and obviously my my brain's ticking over as I'm thinking about it like trying to make sure I'm getting stuff that the listeners will find engaging and interesting and things that they can apply to their life, right? But I'm also like this is sick, like just for me to sit down and have this chat. Like I love this. Like there's a very selfish element of it as well. There's some of the key themes are really interesting just around the drive that these athletes have. I I try and pick it apart and try and get them to articulate what it is that that makes them want to be so good at what they do and what makes them great and how they go about it. And I've loved, I guess, seeing different pieces. I got to sit down and chat with Ariane Titmus, who was my favourite to watch in Tokyo by far. And she was very matter of fact, not overly emotional, but just the way she just talked about like her genetics made her so good at training. But she talked about the way she learnt to train so hard and learn to like enjoy these really hard slog training sessions. And I think that's a really key element of what a lot of these athletes have is they enjoy that discomfort that eventually makes them great. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds at mid mobile. We like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot.
0: I'm Darcy Vesio, and you're listening to the Outer Sanctum Podcast. I love that you want to pick apart how driven people are because anyone who reads your resume would say that you <laughs> must be very driven because you achieved what most people would say is the ultimate sporting goal in getting an Olympic gold medal and then you've kept going into other sports and kept challenging you. So how are you so driven,
1: Chloe? the Olympic thing for me was a huge driver. So I was seven years old when Cathy Freeman won gold at Sydney 2000. And and I remember so vividly watching that race. And I just was so mind blown that this athlete could carry the weight of a nation on her shoulders and perform under that level of pressure. And I decided in that moment that I wanted to win my own Olympic gold medal. And so I feel like that moment kind of changed the course of my life like I was always I was already so obsessed with sport like I as a kid I played every sport under the sun but I probably originally thought it was going to be in athletics or cross country because I used to be pretty good at running and as I started playing basketball like I kind of worked my way up the ranks there and when I was eventually playing in the WNBL I was like okay I'm getting closer here like hopefully I can play for the Opals and then represent them at the Olympics and maybe we could win a medal like I'm getting closer to this goal but the, the issue was that I didn't get a lot of court time right like I, I sat on the bench for for pretty much every game there'd be some games where I'd get on for a minute or two and I'd be so nervous because I was like I've got one minute to prove myself that that I'm worthy of being out here that I end up I would end up not doing a whole lot at all but I kind of had to be pretty realistic at that point and take a step back and be like, all right, if you want to play at that level but you're sitting at, on the bench for the level below it's you're still a really long way off. So I went home and I typed into Google list of Olympic sports (laughs) (laughs) and I saw that rugby sevens was going to be in Rio in 2016 for the first time Uh, and I'd grown up in a rugby family and I used to go and sit on the hill at my local um, footy field and I'd watch my brothers play rugby and at halftime I'd take a cone out and put it on the sideline and try and kick it over from the sideline and I actually was not bad at kicking and people would come up to me and they'd say, oh, you should play rugby and I'd turn to them and I'd say, girls don't play rugby. Mm. because I didn't see it there was there was some incredible women playing rugby at that point in time but I just had absolutely no idea who they were so it was a pretty cool experience and and often fast forward through the whole process but it was really hard like learning to play a completely new sport learning how to tackle was very foreign and the ruck and the breakdown in rugby is a, a weird thing to learn if you haven't grown up doing it and I think it always just came back to the fact that there was this little kid in me that so badly wanted to achieve that dream and and so badly wanted to represent my country on the world stage so to think that 16 years after I could go with my teammates and and to stand on top of the podium and have a gold medal put around our necks was still something that feels quite surreal that that I now have my own olympic gold medal that is an incredible story (laughs) I know that
0: you're in the mindset of AFLW, but are you thinking about Paris?
1: Uh, I don't know. I feel a little bit scarred, to be honest, from the injuries this year. So I also had back surgery in February of this year, about six months out from the Olympics. And I think I went through this entire rehab process and I worked so hard and, and mentally it was probably more demanding than, well, tough to say because physically it was also really hard but but mentally after having back surgery learning how to tackle again is probably one of the scariest things I've ever done um but I I made it through that process and I came back and I was really happy with how I was playing and and I felt like I'd like earned my spot like I felt like I'd really worked hard and and that I I I felt like I deserved the reward of at least going to the Olympics, you know? So, that's why the, the cheekbone fracture really rocked me because it was kind of like this random accident and it just mm. took it all away. So, I don't know. I think I probably need a bit more time to process it. And I might consider that like there's the option of Commonwealth Games as well next year and, and then obviously Paris in 2024. It's something that's that's definitely still on the horizon and I, I'd stay in communication with, with Rugby Australia about that stuff as well. But for the time being, I'm just learning how to handball again. <laughs> <laughs> I've told you, just punt it. Just punt it down the yeah. field. Pick another goal just from 80. Run and kick. Run yeah, and from kick, 80. Run and kick. Yeah, on, on the full from 80.
0: Yeah, yep. no bounces. You can do it. You've got such great insight because chatting to really high-level athletes and you've experienced, you know, elite environments across several codes and you've you know, played for a couple of clubs now with AFLW. Where do you feel like AFLW needs to grow and lift to
1: really take that next step? I think because I have had the really unique experience of doing it across multiple sports, right? So if I look back to WNBL, I was like on, on scholarship at Sydney Uni and I pretty much was getting paid enough for petrol. I was at the very bottom of the ladder in that sense and it was still a very very much a part-time competition then moving across to rugby in the early days, the salaries were, I think it was a full-time salary of about fifteen dollars to $20,000 a year to, to train and to represent your country. And that's progressed um, really well it, in combination with Rugby Australia, but there's also Olympic funding, funding through the AIS, because they've recognised the role that that investment can play to create success right so if you look at the investment that they made so it was in 2014 that rugby australia decided to centralize the program and and put players on full-time contracts and the investment that they made resulted in incredible success if you look at us as a country there were a couple of other nations that were doing full-time training in the lead up to rio but it wasn't all of them and i think that was a really good example of the exponential improvements in strength and conditioning speed, mm. power, skills, skills was a huge one, right? If you're in at training from seven to four every day, you're going to get a heck of a lot better at, at passing because you get to do thousands of reps as mm. part of your daily job. And I think another really big element of that for us was the fact that we could go in. So we'd go in and we'd, we'd be able to break down really individual skills that each player needed to work on and you'd have blocks every single day that you could do that or within small groups that you could do that every single day. And then we'd also get to do video analysis where you get to break down performance, you get to sit down with a coach. So I think we're moving in the right direction with AFLW, but my opinion is that until it becomes your job where all of your energy and focus is put into that, you can't have that same level of improvement as what I believe the public expect when they make these comparisons between the men's and women's games, right? Like it's always going to be a, a different game, it's always going to be a different style of footy when we compare them, but I think the improvement that you could see from a full-time program would be so huge because it allows you to work on so many more things within that space of time rather than getting in there, getting in, out of gym really quickly and trying to fit things here and there off the back of a day of work.
0: Yeah, and it gives you that time to really isolate specialist skills and develop we talk about ten thousand hours and you just need that time what are you excited about for the giants
1: i've really loved the culture at the club i think it's something that i'd heard about in the past and and i'd heard the girls talk about a lot and to actually be involved in is something really special i think originally there were quite a few girls that had probably moved away from home a lot of girls obviously from melbourne who'd relocated to sydney so i think they put a lot of effort into creating a culture that is about genuinely caring for your teammates and creating a really safe space so i've loved that element and and i've loved being a part of that and and there's a lot of discussion around a lot of time they've kind of sat middle of the ladder but that that we want to start to put things in place to actually create change so that we can be competitive at the top and so i think I'm really excited about what that looks like and even training over the past couple of weeks has has been awesome to be involved with. So, I, yeah, I genuinely think we're going to have a good crack this season.
0: Well, I can't wait to watch. You've taken Katie Loins with you, a bit of carton mm-hmm. up there. Can you tell us a bit about when you realised that the Paralympic medal winners were not receiving a medal bonus?
1: Yeah, when I first heard that, I was really shocked. So, as an Olympian, I received the medal bonus when we won gold in Rio. And I think I would just incorrectly assumed that Paralympians received the same medal bonuses. So I was really disappointed and and felt really frustrated when I heard that news. I kind of sat on it for about 10 to 15 seconds. And then I called my team at at the female athlete project. And I was like, what are we going to do about this? Like my first idea was around t-shirts. So we've done a couple of merch runs. And every time we've done a merch run, we've, we've picked a foundation or an organization that helps to provide access to girls or women in sport. But I was like, maybe we could do it with a T-shirt where we could donate money from the T-shirt, all the profits from the T-shirts. And we were kind of like, I think it needs to be a bit bigger than that. Like, I think there needs to be a way that we can actually make an impact because there's going to be so many medals won by these Paralympians. They were already performing so well. We need to make it bigger. And, and we did a bit of research and worked out that GoFundMe would would be a good way to go about it. So we launched this campaign campaign and i think there were a few elements to it right but a really big piece was the education and awareness because that's what i've absolutely loved we've we've seen downfalls of social media but i think it's this really powerful tool to be able to educate people and raise awareness for things like this and it was quite amazing to see the amount of people that got on board and shared it and were similarly outraged by it and i think for us that that helped continue to drive it because people were really passionate about making change they were like this is this is just not okay. Like this is this should not be the case. And so we started to raise funds for the GoFundMe and it started to gain traction around the media. And I think at one point I was doing five or six radio interviews a day and and people started to talk about it. And there was an incredible journalist at SBS that had covered the whole story and people got on board. And then one of the journos from The Guardian who'd also covered it and I'd chatted to them, he texted me and just said, congratulations. And I was like, I don't know what that's for. I think the GoFundMe was at about 80 grand and we'd set an initial target of 100 grand. so I was like maybe someone just came and threw 20 grand down and we've hit our initial target and then I started to see in my group chat screenshots of what um, ScoMo had announced that the Paralympians would be receiving equal medal bonuses in Tokyo and and I could not believe it yeah. I actually felt really emotional when I heard the announcement and I think a lot of the time, particularly when when it's on matters of equality and things that have been not as they should for such a long period of time, you don't often expect to see a response like that. So, So to see change being made at that level was, I think, really, it was so incredible that these athletes who do exactly the same level of preparation and training and often have more costs that they have to cover because of equipment, transport, some of them have... Like, for example, Katie Kelly, who's a para-triathlete, has a guide that runs with her and she has to cover the cost of her guide travelling around the world to compete with her. Like they've got so many additional costs. Mm. So to see the fact that they were going to be rewarded equally for their success was was really cool.
0: Yeah, and I think for people who are in this kind of activist space, change happens very slowly. So to see mm-hmm. uh, a decision where there's enough will and enough pressure, I guess, to make a decision happen quickly, it's, it is rewarding have you considered yourself an activist with that and with the female athlete project and with your own sporting career does that sit well with you that description
1: yeah i haven't probably put that label on it but i think over the past few months the more we've started to do i think it's something that i always knew i wanted to make change right like i gender equality for me was always something i was so passionate about i think well, I don't think you even have to verbalize that right as a woman, you just want to be treated equally. But I knew that I wanted to be able to use my profile from sport to try and create change. And a lot of that started for me when I did training with Our Watch, the the organization that works for towards gender equality to prevent domestic violence. And, and a big part of the training in that space for me was around the role that sport plays in Australian culture and how it's really powerful in changing attitudes because it it is such an integral part of, of what we do, right? Like you think about people sitting on the couch watching sport as a family and, and what they see on TV kind of can replicate the attitudes that people have about it. And I think during that training, I was like, okay, so I can actually make a difference with what I'm doing here. So I guess that was a bit of a seed around starting the female athlete project and with this Paralympics campaign it started because with with the coverage that we'd put out over the Olympics and the content we were putting out there we made a really conscious decision that that everything we did for the Olympics we were going to do the exact same for the Paralympics because for us it didn't make sense to be a platform that champions equality and and to not do the exact same thing to champion equality for the Paralympians as well so I've given you a really long answer, but I guess, yeah, that's kind of the direction I'm going. I think
0: (laughs) it's a great direction. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. I'm gonna just ask you, as someone who's achieved a lot and played a lot, what's what's your big
1: sporting dream for yourself? Big sporting dream would be to win a flag. Mm. In which sport to win a flag? oh in AFLW (laughs) the only sport (laughs) the only sport (laughs) yeah that's definitely the big one now for sure
0: well I hope that you get to achieve that dream I'd love to watch you run out there I'm such a fan thank you Chloe thanks so much for joining us for those that want to keep following along with Chloe's work please like female athlete project on insta or wherever you find your podcasts some great interviews as well as your wrap of the week i really enjoy as well so thank you chloe thanks for your time
1: oh thank you so much i really loved having a chat it was good fun